How's everybody doing? One person is good. Amazing. Hopefully this goes okay. Um, my name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. Really glad that you all are here. Really glad that we're here kind of at this interesting time as we wrap up this series. We get ready to celebrate the 15th anniversary. I can't believe that it's 15 years. Some of us have been here for a long time. They're shaking their head like, how can it be? Uh, but then you look at the kids, you're like, I guess they are older. I guess that makes sense. Uh, and for some of you, you're new and just wondering, you know, this church, it's only 15. I didn't even know. I didn't even think to ask like, how old it was. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, glad we're here together. And uh, as I said, this is the end of our series for this week. Um, and I want to share real quickly uh, a story that's about uh, my call, my call to ministry. We've been in a series called Asking God. And one of the things that we are asking God about is uh, all these different questions. We'll see them in a little bit. But one of the stories I wanted to start with was when we find something that God has called us to do, when we feel like there's a way to serve others or help others, we don't just have to do that. We just don't have to like be obligated or be scared. We can actually ask God about even the call that he's giving us, even the things he's inviting us into. We can ask God for more information to tell us more. There's this verse that I read when I was a senior in college, and it was uh, this one. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 36. It's also uh, in the Gospel of Mark in another story, but it's that same language. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And as I read this my senior year of college, something pierced inside of me, and I felt like God whispered, because it wasn't a shout, like, you care about that. Like, that's about who you are and who you're becoming. And that was very cool in some ways to feel like God had maybe spoken or God was doing something in me, but it's also very confusing because I was like, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a senior. Like, what's going on? I don't think I want to be a pastor. Like, what's this about? And one of the things I was doing as a senior was I was uh, basically like an RA. You know, I had had uh, students that I was going to be with all year. And I felt like there was something about me caring for them where God was saying, there's something about doing that that's going to be like what you do for the rest of your life. But I had to ask God a question. How is that going to happen, <laughs> like in any way? And even how is that going to happen this year? You see, you know, I didn't go to a Christian college or a Christian university. It wasn't like this was a discipleship program. No one was asking me to shepherd anyone. I was going to Yale. <laughs> and so my thought was, how do I do this thing of pastoring? Like, what does that look like? And I asked God about what I felt God had just said in this word. Because we can do that, right? That's what this series has all been about. We can ask God about things God says. I was like, how, God? And something came back to me. Because we were talking uh, in part of our training for, you know, being RAs. It was this thing of, if there's something difficult, if there's something hard, if there's something sensitive, you don't have to, you know, say that word. You don't have to uh, mention what's going on. You can wait till you, the student gives you language for whatever they're going through. So you wouldn't say something like, hey, are you depressed? But if a student says you're sad, or they're sad, you could say, well, are you sad? You kind of mirror the language back. And like God said, how about you just do that all year? Maybe people won't say my name. Maybe people won't talk about God. Maybe people won't ask for prayer. But just lean in to what they're doing. Lean into their experience. Use their language. And if they say, hey, pray for me, then you can. 
But if not, then don't worry about it. There'll be another way to express, you know, compassion and care. I was like, wow, that actually is like a really good idea. And I did that the whole year. Turns out around final season, people are asking for prayer no matter what their spiritual background is. So that came into the conversation then. But even more seriously, people did open up. But I was able to share and to even pastor maybe in the way and the, the kind of way that they were uh, inviting or asking for it. God gave me a strategy for how to love people well. But I had to be curious enough to ask God about it. I had to engage God when I felt like the scripture that I was just reading one day became a little bit more personal for me. That's what we've been talking about this entire series, that we can ask God about things that come up. Sometimes we feel too much like there's just a way that we need to be, or there's something God said, and we can't ask about it. We can't question it. We can't go into dialogue with God. And I hope you've seen during this series that that's actually completely opposite of what God invites us into. We don't just have to uh, have something static that God says. We can actually make that real and dynamic through talking to God. We've been looking at questions this entire series. We've been asking God about God. Who are you and who are you not? Where are you? We've been asking God about who we are. Am I okay? What's the point of this life and of this day? We've been asking God about them. Do I need them? And as you look at these questions, especially if you've been here this entire series, I want to ask you this, and I'll ask you it again. Like, which ones have been personal for you? Which ones have been the questions that have been on your lips? What are ones that maybe you dared to ask God about? Not just during the series, but you took that question into your week, and you asked God, who are you? Or you asked, am I okay? Or you asked, what's the point? And you didn't just ask it to the sky, but you asked it to God. And you waited, and you saw if God shared something with you. Usually in these times, I don't say it's like a Q&A, right? It's not question and answer with God, but it's something more like a Q&R, question and response. How did God respond to you? Maybe you all have like a perfect record of God just answering your questions. For me, it's more like a response. Oh, I felt God was there when I said, I'm okay. Am I, when I asked, am I okay? And God being there helped me and encouraged me, but I didn't get that specific answer, maybe even one that I was looking for. So that's one of our big questions that we've been asking, is when we ask God, can we wait and see what the Lord is up to, what the Lord's doing? Let's skip through these two. Go here. Our question for today is going off of, do I need them? We talked about that last week. I think one of the hard answers for that is yes. You do need them. You need others. We need to have other people in our lives. We can't just be isolated. But now, when we go through this journey, we've asked about ourselves, we've asked about God, and we're going to ask God about them, there's a big question that comes up as well as, how can I actually help others? How can I help others? Because at this point, when we know that we need people, we want to be helped, but we also want to help others. And this question might make you uncomfortable. Can I help others? And it might even be because of that word, help. I don't usually share like the behind the scenes or kind of anything meta about like our teaching series or teaching team. But I remember when I was uh, pitching this, people were like, help, really? Come on, like, we don't want to be like patronizing. We don't have like power over people. Like, why would we just choose a different word? And there are other words we can use. We can use a word like love. You know, can I love them? But I want to kind of poke at you a little bit here. Sometimes, and maybe 
A few of you in the room have done this. I know I've done this. We say, well, I'll, I'll love, I, I can love someone or I'll, I'll love you. And someone's like, well, that's great, that kind of fuzzy word love, but like, what are you going to do for me though? Like, it's nice to be like loved, but like, what are you like doing or like, how is that becoming practical? It's great to like love someone during Christmas time, but someone's like, are you getting me a gift? Like, just don't say Merry Christmas. Like, what are you at? Show it. Like, show me the gift. Because our love has to look like something, right? That's what I actually like about that word help is we're actually thinking about what can we do materially? What can we do practically? What can we actually do with our time, our talent, our money to help people, to love them? I remember living on Kensington Street, which is a neighborhood about a mile this way, has uh, less resources, uh, historically more violence. And this is a big question for us, like how do we do this well? And I remember talking to people at ECV and there was a big kind of concern about, well, how, do you, how are you gonna love people? How are you gonna love people well? And like, you know, you don't wanna like do too much, you don't wanna do too little, and it was kind of a lot of questions. But it was questions that came out of, I think, a place of anxiety, of like, what will our place there be? As most people didn't grow up in Kensington that were moving to that neighborhood. We actually had about 11 or 12 people moving there. But when I talked to the neighborhood, the neighborhood was sort of like, hey, so you're here. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, you say you're the church, so like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, actually, I'm glad we had some things in mind to do. We were doing things like weekly worship nights. We were doing a sidewalk Sunday school. We were doing turkey giveaways around Thanksgiving. We were doing some ham giveaways around Christmas time. Like, we actually were up to something. Our love was practical. Wasn't only that, but I was glad it was something. Because there was some anxiety when I talked to people sometimes in the church, like, oh, like, what are you doing there? But when I was in the neighborhood, they were like, if you're the church, what does that look like? <laughs> Shouldn't it look like something? And they were kind of expecting us to help. They were expecting us to serve. They were expecting us to love. For those of us in the room that follow Jesus, what if you'd be surprised that your friends and maybe that don't are actually maybe expecting you to serve them in a certain way. They're expecting you maybe to help in a certain way. Wait, you pray for me, right? You say you're Christian. I need your prayers. Come on. I'm going to tell you something. Or are you more just saying, mm, I'm going to kind of stay apart. I'm going to stay removed. We need to be people that actually show our love and even show our help. And guess what? We can ask God about that. So we just don't have to like say we're doing it. But we can ask God, what's the best way to love our neighbor? What's the best way to love our classmate, our coworker? Regardless of what uh, we say, whether it's help or love, there's an invitation that God has today for our love, our help to be a bit more practical, a bit more concrete, and inspired by God. That we can ask God, God, I'm confused. I don't know how to love someone. I don't know how to help them well. But we can actually ask God, how do we do that? Let's pray together as we're asking the voice of the Lord to be present with us even right now. God, thanks so much that you give us words and messages even out of Scripture. You give us words and messages in your still small voice. You give us words and messages not for, just for our own lives or even not just for our own motivation to be with others, but actually you give us words for how to serve people well and how to love people well. God, would you speak to us today? And would you move here? Would you be present, God? Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Today we're going to look at a scripture from the book of Acts. This is a part of God's story where Jesus has ascended uh, after the cross, after the resurrection, and the disciples are actually trying to figure out what does love look like practically? What does love look like concretely in the day-to-day? And Jesus isn't right there, right beside them to tell them. They're having to engage God even with difficult situations. So one day they have this situation happen to them. This is two disciples, Peter and John. This is in uh, the book of Acts. It's chapter 3, 1 through 5, and we're going to do the second half a little bit later. You can follow along if you'd like to uh, on the screen or in your Bibles. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. On the face of this is a pretty simple story. And we've seen things like this even in the Gospels, the story of Jesus and what he did in his life. We see someone that is lame. There's a physical injury they have. And they're asking, or there's help that's needed. But this story has a little bit, a bit of an interesting catch in that usually when we see someone maybe lame or blind, sick in some way, we just see them. Either they ask for help. Jesus inquires something about, like, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And then usually what happens with Jesus? They're healed, right? But here we see something different. We see a little bit of a one way of doing things and then another way of doing things. Because this man just isn't known only by Peter and John, right? What else do we see at the beginning of the passage? Well, we see that there's a ritual that people would lay this man daily at the gate by the temple. They would lay him down daily at the gate so he could ask for alms from those entering the table the temple. And that was something that was a religious practice. It was part of the religious culture. A few things here. Obviously, the temple practices, alms is a a way of asking for money and even saying, because you're going to the temple, because you're looking for a cleansing, you're looking to kind of do good, would you help me? And then people serving this man by bringing him to the temple. But the way that goes isn't the way that Peter and John do things, right? And I want to explore a little bit more of why. And I want to use uh, two different words as we start. We're going to look at this passage in three different ways, um, but I I want us to kind of look at this. This kind of word of a loop versus a look. Look we see in the passage, so you should know what that is, right? They're saying, look at us. But then what's this loop about? Well, here's some more information. You know, a loop here is a cycle of action that's producing little or no change. Because what do we see? This man's put there daily. It's a ritual. It's even a religious ritual. And so people are helping, but how are they helping? They're helping by basically positioning him to ask for money. And it seems like he asks for money, what? Every day. And does it seem like that's changing his situation? No, because it's a daily ritual. That's a daily religious ritual that's kind of producing, I think, little or no change. That's a loop versus a look, sincere engagement that creates expectancy and presence. What do we see in that last verse, verse five? And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. It's kind of interesting, right? That someone that's like a beggar, 
that that would be like the thing that scripture notes because they're usually looking to what? Receive something. But it seems like this kind of receiving that's happening here is different. Seems like there's a ritual, a loop kind of way that we can be, and there's a way that a look can bring expectancy, can bring newness, can bring change. At this point, I'm very interested in this passage, not only because this is part of our everyday reality living in a city, but more than just the interactions that might map on this socially for us in New Haven, I think we're always a little bit stuck, right? In some kind of loop, in some kind of ritual practice, even a religious ritual one, and we're not experiencing that much change. Has that ever happened to you before? Where you realize there's like a loop you're in, but there's not really change you're getting from the repeated thing you're doing. In fact, you can start to feel bad about that. Longing for something to be different. Maybe longing for someone to look, to notice, to engage sincerely. I think that's part of what we see here happening in the passage. A look is happening. We see it again people would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple, this ritual practice. And the look is Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. We're seeing a little bit of a setup in the scripture. scripture. We see here that sincere looks, I think, are greater than Uh, just religious loops. Sincere looks, this kind of look at us. See me. Notice me. It's better than the religious ritual that's been happening that hasn't produced change at all. You know, uh, I've been in the South some for some travel for part of my vineyard role, and there's uh, a little bit of a secret in the South. There's a phrase, y'all might know it, called, bless your heart. And, you know, it sounds cute enough, but if you're from the South, anyone got South or Southern roots, you know, bless your heart is kind of like armor's up, right? Bless your heart. It's a little bit like, um, I, I'm in church, so I can't say like what it really, like I can't do the translation, but like bless your heart isn't exactly bless your heart, if you know what I'm saying. It's a little bit uh, heavy. It's a little bit uh, hokey, right? It's a little bit, hmm, bless your heart. And, you know, depending on where you're from, you know, Midwest has a Midwest nice version of this. I'm from the Midwest, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm picking on the South today. I'm not going to do the Midwest version. But there's something about these rituals of things that we might even say to just end the conversation a little bit, to kind of not really get into it, but say something where they'll know what you mean. Bless your heart. You know, Midwest, that's nice. My mom always is like, that's okay. Or no, hers is, that's different. I'm like, mom, you, you definitely aren't saying that's different. You're saying it's bad. That's different, Josh. But there's something else about speaking sincerely, speaking creatively from our heart, speaking the words that God might say, that takes a little bit more, actually risking looking at someone, engaging with someone, engaging their story, serving them, loving them, not just being stuck in a loop. We see it in other ways, Uh, you know, the vineyard highlights a lot, can I pray for you right now? Versus, you know, especially if you've been in Christian culture, they're like, hey, I'll pray for you later. (laughs) And how many times do you do that? Or you just say like, bye. But the vineyard, they they have this habit of saying, can I pray for you right now? Because there's something that you can actually expect right now, which is God to move somehow. Maybe in a dramatic way, or maybe even just, I care about you. 
I love you. I'm willing to interrupt my day to pray for you right now versus I'll, I'll pray for you later as you like kind of go back into your own busyness, right? That happens a lot, I think, for us. And maybe, you know, sometimes this might happen in home group context, might happen in church context, but I think it happens in other contexts too. When someone shares something, right, and it's maybe a little bit difficult, maybe it's hard, maybe you're kind of aware they're not really sharing honestly, you just kind of pull one of these, a little bit of like, thanks for sharing, (laughs) or bye, right? Instead of the like, hey, do you have different language for what's really going on? Like, I'm just going to like look in you, like in your eyes, in your story, and say, can you try one more time? Because I didn't get that. But how many times have we just said, bye, thanks for sharing, and we kind of close something instead of opening it up? I think the disciples here have like every reason just to say, like, we're doing official disciple business. Let's like move on. But instead they say, look at us, and they create a different moment of engagement. What would it mean, you know, even in your own story, to look at others instead of looping others in a system that keeps them where they are and where you are? Usually you notice that by being stuck in something. I'm going to say the question again. What would it mean to look at others truly instead of looping others in a system that keeps them where they are and where you are? And I'll go into this later. There's a reason why we depend on loops. It's easier for us. But there's also a a godly motivation for why to get out of them. Specifically, this question of, God, what are you doing here? How might I love people well? How might I serve people well? How might I help? I want you to think even about your own story. Where might you be stuck right now in a pattern of loving someone? There's some familiar examples that can come to mind. Some of us already see the date coming closer. It's October. We're like, oh, okay, it's not Halloween. It gets to November. Okay, it's not Christmas, but it's a smack dab, the Thanksgiving dinner. And you're worried already about the loops, the ways that you're stuck with a family member, with a certain way of doing things. And there might be a question, God, how do I love them well? How do I help them? And it probably is going to take a sincere look, some sincere engagement to get out of uh, a stuck pattern. That's look and loop. There's something else, though, that Peter does that I think we'd be instructed to look at as well. So, breaking up the passage in three different ways, this is the second part, and it's very short. But Peter says this after he says, look at us. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. And we'll kind of go into the next part of what he has. Don't want to spoil it. Some of you guys know the passage, but I don't want to spoil this. But this is really important. I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. Now, who is this person again? They're a lame man, and what are they doing? They're begging. They're looking for silver and gold. This isn't a random point that he says. He says, you're looking for something, and I'm going to tell you right now, I can't give it to you. And does that stop the relationship here? No. It actually opens the relationship up to something much deeper than what's being asked for, something much deeper than what's being engaged about on the superficial level. This actually isn't about money or resources. This is about something much deeper. And usually we read this passage. I had this kind of reflection as I was studying this passage for this week. Usually we think about this and say, oh, it's Peter and John. Like they probably didn't have that much money, right? They were fishermen, disciples. But then if you look at the chapter before, there's this awesome passage, like, they shared everything, like, they had everything in common, they were laying down, like, property at their feet, like, they were in this community of, like, wild resources, and I realized something, they might not have it in their pocket, 
but they have it in like the community bank account, right? And I was like, whoa, I've never read this passage that way. Like, they did have the access to get something, but what do they do? They said, that's not what's happening right here. That's not what this occasion is about. There's something else. I don't have silver and gold right now. I don't have silver and gold for you. I don't have silver and gold because there's something else that's happening. And here's what I have. I wonder as you think about serving and helping and loving, are you that honest with what you don't have? Are you just skittish enough that you go maybe back to a loop or to a lie or to just separation? But I wonder for you if you're ever honest about what you have. Because you think about it, what do you have? You have money, you have time, you have your skills or talents. You have a lot of things maybe to give. And I love this passage too, because even if we're saying they don't have some money in their wallets, I'm not gonna get into yours, but I'm guessing you might, right? So we just, we just don't get off for this passage either. Sometimes there's silver and gold we have that we truly should give up, but we have to ask God about that. But there are these resources that you actually have. And I wonder as you think about loving people and serving people, if you think, is it okay for me to say I don't have that or I can't give that? And I think you definitely should accept those limits and those boundaries and be honest and open new conversations in new ways. Are you honest about what you have and don't have as you help and love? Do you have the courage to say, I actually don't have the time to do this, but here's what I do have. I don't have the money or resources to fulfill that need, but here's what I can do. Doing what you can, not what you can't. In the church, there's many things we can do. And I think sometimes we get so overwhelmed. Uh-oh, people know I'm a Christian. <laughs> people know I'm supposed to be about love. And so then we just kind of distance ourselves or hang out only with certain kinds of people. We kind of start to build a protective bubble because we are afraid of what? Saying no, expressing a limit. Instead of saying, no, that actually creates a boundary for me to do something that I can do, not to focus or be scared of what I can't do. Be honest about your supply, your limits, your emptiness. Maybe even be honest about what you don't know. Because when we're not honest, we usually rely on a loop to do the work for us. That's maybe in the example we're using. Hey, sorry, I don't have anything. You know, thanks, you know, I'm sorry. Like the things we usually say to people who are maybe asking us for money. Turns out we do that in one version of our stuckness, but we also do that in other ways. Hey, I'm busy, I can't meet, you know. We just give people excuses instead of saying, hey, I actually don't have time. What I do have is a prayer for you or a hope for you. I actually can't do that. Kids, school teacher, you're asking for way too much all the time. Why does my you know, six-year-old already have homework? But what, what I can do is say I'm grateful for what you're up to. And here's what I want to do to be present. It's these sincere looks again, these statements that make things real. They're not excuses. They're actually being present to your own story. And because of that, you're being present to someone else's story. I think that's so important for us to do. And I, I kind of received like a, a, an expert class, a master class in this when I was in Uganda on a, a missions trip serving. We were told by Ugandans, hey, you need to be really clear and really honest about what you can and can't do. Because you're gonna wanna come here and say that you can do everything. 
or you're going to want to come here and not even talk to people because you're afraid that you'll say that. But I want to give you some clear boundaries. You know, we actually are moving on. We have an itinerary, so you can't help the next day. You don't know if you can see that child again. And although you have money, it is unwise for you at this stage in the trip to promise anything to anyone. So wait until the end to see how you want to use your money and how you want to give and give generously. This leader gave us boundaries so we could engage. He gave us limits so we could love and serve well. He didn't say, hey, just do whatever you want. Don't engage, engage everyone. He said, you need to really be honest about what you can and can't do because that's going to start a foundation of a different kind of relationship. And it was so powerful and so helpful, and people respected that. And it gave me opportunities to look beyond that superficial conversation in whatever was going on on the trip. Hey, I can't do that, but actually, can I focus right now on this kid in the classroom who wants our love and attention right now? Can we pray for that kid? There are ways that things opened up by taking away certain conversations and putting certain activities or actions on the table. Where might you need to be challenged to express a limit in a challenging relationship, to express a boundary, to say, I don't actually have that, but here's what I do have. And Peter does that. And here's what he says he has as we get to our third section of scripture and our third point. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Again, we know the full story, right, from this account of Scripture. And so there's some amazing things even in this account. Peter says, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have, I give you. And it's the power of God from the authority that comes to Peter through the gospel. Peter being able to stand in the authority of Christ, not because he's perfect, not because he's done everything right, but because Jesus has met him in a powerful way. And he carries authority from that. And what does that do? It changes this loop where the only thing that it seems like religious people were able to offer was, hey, I'll take you to the temple so you can beg And out of pity, people might give you something, but it's probably just enough for some bread, enough to get you by, enough for him to come back, what, to the temple the next day, just to do it all again. Does that seem like God's power? Does it seem like God's mercy? Does it seem like God's love? It's just a a, a daily existence. But all of a sudden, these disciples of Jesus show up and everything changes because they're able to interrupt this dangerous loop with a look that says, look at us. There's something different that's going to happen today. I can't give you silver and gold. I won't fill that basket up. But what I can do, I will do, which is to actually say, get up and walk. And there's a powerful miracle that day. And what's the response of the people? They're almost like putting things together. We, like, we just brought this person to the temple to beg. But these people brought this beggar to Jesus through a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus healed him. And then the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. They actually realized, oh, it's that guy. 
And then there was amazement and praise and worship. It turns out this question of how can we serve people, how can we love people, how can we help people is actually a really serious one. Because when we ask God and get God's take, it can end up with a lot of beautiful moments, a lot of moments of God's power. But there's something that Peter did here that we need to be encouraged into. He thought that God's power actually was something he could give away. He thought the gospel was something that was valuable and that was powerful. And it brings us into this awkward moment again. I've been kind of inviting us into a few different awkward moments today, which is what do we think about this? What do we think about God's power? And what do you feel about the fact that you always have the gospel and you always have God's power at hand? You always have this story of Jesus coming close to us, drawing near, this story that God loves us so much that he came near to us through Jesus and that we can now access this person of Jesus through the Spirit of God. And that it says that the Spirit of God gives us power and authority and we can pray for people even today and see God do amazing things. This is something that's at hand. And maybe it's why Peter has so much uh, creativity in how he loves. Maybe he has so much boldness in how he loves. Maybe why he doesn't get stuck as easily as we tend to. We always have the gospel and we always have God's power. But a question here is, is an expression of God's power maybe like uh, just a religious loop for you? Like, oh, of course I have that. Yeah, like, you know, God bless you. <laughs> I hope things are better in Jesus' name. Like, do we think that this invitation to pray is just like kind of a religious offering? Or do we think that it can really change things? It can really be something that expresses the power of God. What is it for you? Because we need to know that it's powerful. One story I love in our community, we're approaching 15 years, and we have a lot of different stories of experiencing God's power. Uh, but one story that I love a lot, because it's a personal one for me, is uh, our story in our community uh, last year when our worship pastor at this time uh, didn't have a voice at all, not to sing uh, for sure, and not even to really speak or speak that well. I was asking God, uh, how do we help here? What do we do? And if you didn't know, I'm married to the worship pastor, married to Tina right over here. And this was something that was a struggle for us. Uh, and I remember one day, uh, it wasn't necessarily my finest, like, you know, silver and gold have I not moment. But I was like, Tina, you know, if... If this is it, you know, if, you know, your voice doesn't come back, I just want to let you know, like, I'm so proud of, like, what you've done, like, with your voice and the songwriting and the look Tina gave me. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Because I think one of the reasons why Tina was so sad about this was, like, she felt there was more for her. She felt there was more for her journey, for her songwriting, for her voice. And so many people felt that. And guess what they did? They prayed. They prayed with an expectation. They prayed with a hope. And nothing really changed. And in some ways, it probably got a little worse. And we got to the date where the surgery that was going to happen that, you know, had some hope and promise, but also had some level of risk, was going to come. And I think people in our community were saying, hey, I can pray for you. I don't know, like, what else to do. And people were getting into really good conversations with Tina, 
better than mine <laughs> about like what it meant for her to have this gift, um, yeah, really kind of in a, in a moment of, of potential loss. And so people were sharing, hey, I can pray for you, but I can also talk to you about this. I think one of the more meaningful moments was when Tina was at a conference and there were this group of Latino uh, leaders in the vineyard. And they just said, I know you've been prayed for a lot, but can we just express like how much we're grateful for you? And can we pray for you again? So people didn't feel like embarrassed to pray. In fact, there were some people here that said, hey, I know it's going to be weird, but I want to pray for you every week when you're at church. And Tina said, okay, be weird. That's kind of what we do sometimes at ECV. And then finally, one time uh, we were at the national conference, I think a few, uh, it's like it was late October last year. And a few people uh, saw her, were listening to her story, and they were, they were kind of like, I'm so sorry this happened. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? And they prayed. And Tina had hope that something would change. Tried to sing a little bit later. I was like, oh, this did, didn't seem like it, it made a difference. But then later, uh, I think maybe a week later, singing Moana songs to our kids, which is a regular habit in our household, for better or worse, she realized like, there were some notes that she could hit. And then it seemed like something was changing to the point when she asked, I think someone here, give me a mic. And like the people are like, no, this doesn't make sense. And she's like, give me a mic. And when Tina says, give her a mic, you apparently give her a mic. I wasn't there. Maybe, I'm glad I wasn't there actually. That, that would have been bad. I think Tina would have won. And then so she went to a doctor's appointment. There was pre-op for surgery. And she just asked, can you just check this one more time? And they did. And there were these two little marks on her vocal cords as if someone had done some incision, but there wasn't the same issue anymore. The cysts that were there were completely gone. And they seemed like that prayer, whether it was the one from the conference, all of them together, something had changed something. And she was healed. And you heard her sing earlier, you'll hear her sing later. And, and there's this moment of people did what they could, not what they couldn't do. People didn't promise something that they couldn't offer. Tina was still, you know, getting surgery. She didn't feel like, hey, I'm not going to do that because of some reason. And people encouraged her, like encouraged her deeply in the way, like in her story and in the potential loss. People just showed up to love and to serve. And that's the simple call that we have, to not give what we can't, but to do what we can. And to know in our context, it always means prayer. It always means God's love. It always means stepping into God's power, no matter what happens, no matter what we see. There are sometimes we see powerful stories like we saw in the scripture. And there are sometimes where the powerful story is someone feeling, thank you so much for being weird and for praying. I didn't experience that like end result that I wanted, but I'm so glad that you actually looked at me and you asked, like, do you want prayer? You looked at me and you said, I don't know what I can do, but I can do this. And you took that risk. So at the end of the day, there's a question for us that we see in the end of the story we read, but we need to know for our own story, which is, do we believe the gospel and God's power is actual love and actual help? Because if we don't, we wouldn't offer it away, right? And if we do, we might step into this kind of risk-taking to say our love could look like asking God, God, how can I pray for my coworkers? What could helping look like in this neighborhood 
or in my kid's classroom. And to think somehow that God's love and God's power will have something to do with it. So we can kind of sum up this talk by saying the gospel isn't bless your heart. (laughs) It's just not. It's not like a cheesy, it's not kind of like religious, like, you know, God bless you. It's actually something that we could depend on, like, at our own sort of level of risk-taking. It's not just something that we can say, right? It's something that we can live into. But it's at our level of risk-taking. How much do we want to test this and say, I'm going to bring the gospel to this question I've been having, where if I trusted that Jesus was enough, maybe everything would change. But would I trust that as it comes to what I've been thinking and feeling about myself, how I've been comparing myself to others? Bringing the gospel that Jesus is more than enough and he's come close to us and that's what matters and bringing that to your Thanksgiving table. So you're like, maybe this relationship that I've always been worried about and warring with, maybe I can actually take a risk and say, hey, I'm not gonna do that this, this Thanksgiving. I'm, that's not gonna be my battle. But I'm gonna say, here's what I can do to show up and to love. The gospel isn't just bless your heart. We know it's better than that. And we know it's actually better than anything. But sometimes I think we have to lean in and take a risk to see just how better it is. By believing it for ourselves, by offering it to others, by taking it to situations of need and saying, here's what I have and here's what I don't have, but I'm able to pray. I'm able to tell you the story. I'm able to interrupt a loop I'm in and say, can I pray for you right now? And say, Jesus' love matters, and I think it matters for you. And I think it actually could be an answer for you to say, uh, you're going through this challenge, but can I bring God's love and God's mercy to be present? If you need to know the power of the gospel and God's power, and our thesis of the series has been asked about it. If you're having some questions about this, that's good. That's kind of like the awkward place I wanted to invite you into because guess what? You just don't have to do it. You can inquire about it with the Lord. If you want to know what does the story mean for X, get out your journal, take a walk, invite God into the deepest and hardest and darkest situation because we have a conviction here at the church that God would respond to you. He might not answer your question in the way that you want or with precise language, but he can respond as you bring this truth of God's power and God's love to your life and even to others as you ask them, you know, what can the Lord do? How can the Lord help? And how can you be a part of that? So what I want us to do now as we uh, get ready to transition is just to look at these questions. They're the questions we've been asking throughout the entire series. I just want you to think, what's a question that you're uh, maybe taking with you from this series? If you want to think about some, you're like, oh, I had a great experience with this one. Yes, have a moment of rejoicing. That is great. But I'm also very interested in, like, what's a question you're taking with you from this series? And one that you still need to be in dialogue with God about. You know, we offered kind of a little bit of a help at the beginning. Like, hey, take five minutes a day. Maybe take an hour a week. And you may or may not have done that. And that's completely fine. (laughs) What I at least love for you to do is to look at these questions and to see what's one that you're taking with you from the series, even if it's only for tonight, only for tomorrow, and saying, I want to be in conversation with God. So just look at it for 20 seconds.
You might already know the one, so sorry that you have 15 seconds left. But for some of you, I just want you just to take a look and to see. to just think about a few invitations before we uh, have a time of prayer. So are you stuck in some kind of loop, some situation where something's just not working for you, kind of like how this man was brought to the temple and things didn't really change for him? Maybe that's even a loop around church or Christianity somehow. Where do you want to look and where do you want someone to look at you? And where is God inviting you to look towards someone? Uh, This week, can you journal and make a practice of like breaking one of those things, breaking something open and trying to look afresh or anew? Second is, are you being honest about what you have and don't have? Could you just share that with one person this week? You know, are you saying, silver and gold have I not, as your pockets are jangling? You got something, and you maybe even have something to give. Or maybe it's that you don't have time, and you haven't told people that. That's kind of like running you into some problems. And you could just be honest, say, I actually am struggling with that but here's what I can do. And then where do you need to believe in the gospel and practice God's power? Where is that place? So I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to be with us. Uh, The worship team can come up. But I want us to stay in a posture right now of curiosity and also waiting for the Spirit's presence. When we wait for the Spirit's presence, there's a, a, a way that we're asking the Lord, God, would you come And would you speak? So Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to come and to speak to us. Kind of get into a comfortable posture. Might help to close your eyes. Maybe you want to keep them open. I want you to think of this question that we've been thinking through. How can I love them or help them? And as you do that, I first want to silence fear that might come up as you think about stepping out into someone else's story. Fear be gone in the name of Jesus. We just speak to fear and say you have no place here. Right now, I just want to speak to people. I just feel like there's a number of people, and you don't have to stand or raise your hand, but I think there's a number of people where there is just a a really tough situation in your life, maybe in your kind of relational orbit, and you are asking that question of how does the gospel and God's power show up, and how can it? I just want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would be with you and would even start to speak to you about that very question. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you say uh, in Scripture 
Um, goodness and mercy shall chase me down, shall follow me. And I thank you that you speak of the gospel. That it's foolishness, and yet it's the power of God. And I pray right now, especially if there's a frailty and a weakness that any of us have with that kind of possibility, I pray right now for the gift of faith that comes truly as a gift. And I also pray right now that something would happen in the Spirit that would make us firm enough to stand, even if only with the help of God. And I pray for an imagination and power that the gospel would be enough. And I pray for those struggling with that today, that even as an act of the Spirit, Spirit, would you just give them a desire to want that? Even if they don't know if they can agree with that today, would you give them a desire to want that? And Spirit, right now, would you just encourage us that you're at work in our stories? We sang earlier, even when I don't see it, you're working. God, we just thank you that you're at work in our stories. Holy Spirit, would you fill us up right now? The last invitation, it's two parts. I'm going to invite you uh, just to get prayer on the side for this. Um, and if you want to ask someone next to you, you can. And then we'll move into worship. Um, but it's just an invitation. If there's something for you, when you think about what it means to love someone or to help someone, where you're like, I feel like I have something that's connected to my call, to what I'm supposed to do on this earth. And I want support in that. I want strength in that. I invite you to get prayer from someone today, just to have someone bless that call. And then I, I as a second part of that, if, if you really feel like something of that is shepherding, doesn't mean you'll have to be a pastor. I honestly wasn't that scared at that time when I got that, that I would be a pastor. Maybe I should have been, but I don't think I should have been. Um, I just knew it was a gift to care for people. If that's something that you are feeling, that you have been given a call to serve people and to help people in a way that looks like shepherding or pastoring, it doesn't mean for a job. I want you to, at some point in the service, identify yourself to someone. <laughs> Won't make you stand up right now. But for you to go over and get prayer, for you to ask someone to tap your neighbor and say, are you comfortable praying for me? Because I feel like the Lord wants to bless callings right now. Mm. Callings that come out of this question of, can I serve and can I help someone? And callings about shepherding. Lord, I just pray right now, if that's someone, that you would give them the courage, even in this time in the service, to identify themselves, to get prayer on that, to receive God. And I thank you that you do give us a call to love others and to love others well that spirit you're not shy about your desire for us to love people around us lord take away fear that we might be facing take away a sense of uh, doubt or despair as we might think of ways that people haven't been loved well or you haven't come through and replace it god with a curiosity and an awareness that uh, your gospel is good news and your power is available to us would you have us explore that even today in this time of worship and prayer?